Hi, Patricia. This is Neha with Wharton Fintech. Thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, thank you very much, Neha. I'm delighted to be here. Um, we're so excited to host you. And I guess just sort of as a starter, we would love to hear more about your background and, and kind of how you came to be the Fintech General Partner at Oak HCFT. No, absolutely. I'd be delighted to discuss it. Um, coming out of business school, uh, I decided that, uh, and I'd worked in investment banking prior to business school, I decided I wanted operating experience. So I spent 12 years at the prior CUC International that became Sendent and rose up to the ranks and had a number of operating divisions reporting to me. And uh, CUC had lots of services and solutions that were marketed to and through financial institutions. So I knew a lot about payments and fraud and credit cards and marketing to and from them. Um, I left uh, uh, with the birth of a child, and um, and then uh, you know I I was I engaged with Oak when they decided in the early 2000s to create a uh, fintech effort, and then joined Oak. And I, because I'd had such a strong background within financial services and, and payments and knew a lot of the players, I was kind of very well positioned to understand the trends and, and what needed to be solved in a number of these uh, industry verticals. Yeah, so I think it's really interesting that, you know, the timing is sort of when HCFT got started, um, looking at investment in the industry more generally. We'd love to hear your perspective on why, with disruption having reached so many other traditional industries earlier on, um, why is it the fintech investments really only sort of ramped up uh, in 2013, 2014? Um, well, well, let me just, first of all, just let me remind you a little bit of uh, some history here. Is we started investing in fintech kind of back in 2002, 2003. Um, right, right, right. I did a little a little bit of investment prior to that. Uh, and, you know, we, we had 15 to 20 investments in fintech, uh, you know, up through, uh, you know, 2012, let's say. Um, right. And there were lots of themes you could invest in then. The, you know, the pickup in fintech kind of in the last couple of years is because, you know, other people have figured out what we figured out, <laughs> which is it's a great, <laughs> you know, it's a, it, it, it's, a great ver it's a great vertical with high recurring revenue, SaaS-based models, you know, large industry players and ecosystems with legacy solutions that need, you know, help up and down the stack. Um, and that it's, it's verticals that, uh, you know, cloud, um, uh, mobile data had not really been brought to bear. And so there's, you know, great opportunity for operating efficiencies and, and you know, other gains for lots of the ecosystem players. Um, if you actually look at the data, and you sort of say, okay, there's been lots of investments in 2013, 14. Uh, what you find is that those were, you know, bigger size investment rounds, and actually the seed rounds would have been three or four years earlier. So within financial institutions, don't forget you had the big correction of 2008 and the events of 2008, and you had banks pulling back. So you then had the opportunities as banks pulled back for lots of players to step in, whether it's, you know, alternative lending, whether it's um, fraud or risk, you know, helping them manage cost. Um, so you had an industry that also needed help. So those companies, many of them were seeded earlier, and then the larger rounds came later, is what I'd say. Um, mm -hmm. And then you, I mean, if you look at the, uh, the two big pockets of where most of the investing has gone, one is alternative lending. Um, which mm -hmm. is began because the banks pulled back and whether it was SMBs or consumers they needed to be lent to, you know, that was a significant portion um, uh, of 
I think that was almost 35% of the investment dollars kind of in the, in the last few years. And then another quarter to 30% is in payments. Um, and again, what you had happen over this period of time is, as you're probably well aware, cash and check are being replaced by you know, digital electronic means of payment. And then once you had the iPhone introduced in 2007, and whether it's business payments or consumer payments became more um, regular, more accepted, right? You kind of had lots of opportunities and lots of different verticals along the payments um, uh, uh, spectrum. So yes, you could say it's picked up in the, you know, and there was a big pickup in 13, 14, but a lot of it is a result of what had been going on for the prior decade. And then a lot of it was a result of the post 2008, you know, banking crisis and the needs of banks. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so actually on that note, thinking about sort of the regulation changes that have occurred since 2008 and also thinking about the potential future risks for fintech, how do you think about that regulatory risk in your investment and which sectors do you think are most exposed negatively? Well, um, uh, so first of all, you know, uh, regulators are there to sort of protect consumers and protect businesses, right? So they, their jobs mm -hmm. are to regulate. And, um, you know, you want some of that, a lot of that level of regulation because we don't want to have, you know, funds uh, swiped out of our accounts. We don't want to have issues with money laundering. And so, so much of it is needed and positive. And their job is to kind of protect consumers and to protect businesses. Um, uh, it's in, in all fintech businesses, kind of understanding where they, that business might fit in the regulatory framework is kind of a cost of doing the business. Uh, we, I mean, you take two verticals that, that there's lots of regulation, you know, banking and let's take insurance, right? All have to be licensed by state or you can take money uh, transmission, right? Where you need money, money uh, licenses per state. Um, typically what we do is we invest in services and solutions that help those players that are doing that. So we're not looking on, we're not looking to be the bank ourselves. We're not looking to be the insurance carrier ourselves, right? We're providing technology enabled services and solutions to let them do their job better or to create you know, more cost efficiencies. So from the perspective of, you know, are we worried about it? You know, it affects if, if the business model, you know, has percentages of interchange or other percentages of, of revenue coming from something that might become more heavily regulated, then you could worry about it. But we typically, you know, the, the, the responsibilities for that tend to fall within the large incumbents of these different verticals. And startups are all trying to provide services to those verticals as, as, as a you know, generalization. But got alternative it, it. lending, for instance, Neha, alternative lending is a space where many think um, there will be, you know, an increased regulatory uh, interest over the period of time because banks pulled back, mm -hmm. so new lenders stepped in. Many of them are just marketplaces, so they're not actually taking the lending risks themselves. Um, you know, there's the, the marketer and the distributor. But as those interest rates move up and down, whether it's lending to a small and medium-sized business or lending to consumer, you know, many think that those areas are going to come under more regulation. Um, uh, you know, areas such as money remittance, and insurance, you want to have regulated because you want you want uh, you know you want consumers' funds to be safe in all those cases. 
Yeah, so, you know, looking at some of this innovation in these spaces that you're seeing, um, you know, looking forward beyond regulation, what sectors do you expect to heat up in the coming couple of years? And, you know, are there any companies that you're keeping a close eye on? Um, well, uh, I mean, you know, different firms have different um, perspectives of uh, thesis of what they like. Um, we, you know, we like payments and we like B2B payments in particular. Um, because the B2B payment space is still dominated by checks, if you can believe it. So, you know, vertical by vertical, that will all become more uh, digitized over time. Um, uh, mm-hmm. So, we, so we, we, like, we like payments as a broad statement. We like everything in and around payments, fraud, risk, identity, analytics, um, loyalty. Mm-hmm. Um, all that's going to become, uh, you know, data is going to be brought to bear in all those cases and will become more efficient. Uh, you know, and, and again, the B2B payments world, unlike the consumer payment world, I mean, we all know the consumer payment world has kind of become, you know, there's been a, a huge sea change in how much has been digitized um, over the last decade. And the B2B payment world is just starting. And so you can go vertical by vertical and, fi- and find opportunities mm-hmm. there. Um, you know, we've always liked, uh, uh, you know, up and down the stack in certain uh uh, financial industry verticals, such as banking, you know, banking, banks run on, you know, 30 year old legacy platforms, insurance companies run on 30 year old legacy platforms, wealth managers run on 30 year old legacy platforms. So there are opportunities up and down that stack um, to provide, you know, new solutions. Um, so, so we've always, you know, we like that. Uh, and data and data analytics, and I know that's kind of a buzzword, but in across all financial service verticals, there's the opportunity to use data for an insurance better risk underwriting in banking for you know, better serving the customer and better um, uh, fraud detection, risk mitigation, um, wealth management to better understand the cu- customer's profile. So data and has not really been brought to bear in the banking industry to the degree it might have been brought to bear in other industries to date. So that's, again, an area we like. Um, and then across all those verticals, outsource services. They're all looking to become more efficient. They're all looking for cloud-based services. And you can, kind of, you can come up with solutions um, you know, across the board to make many of those players more efficient and more profitable. Mm-hmm. Now, actually, to delve a little bit deeper into sort of three of the payment and payment adjacent uh, sectors that yeah. you mentioned, we, you know, we've seen that you're invested in blockchain with digital currency group, receivables financing yeah. with FastPay, point of sale terminals, point, um, you know, what, what underlies these sort of three particular sectors in detail and why these three companies? Sure. Um, uh, so I'll go backwards for you. For, so point... All right, so Point mm-hmm. is a next generation merchant terminal that is accepting a card payment at point of sale. So like a current Visa MasterCard terminal. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and what Point has created is the first fully certified smart terminal targeted to tier three and tier four merchants um, uh, that is fully PCI compliant and can accept EMV payments, et cetera. And as you may or may not be aware, Merchants are having to trade out all their terminals to be EMV compliant. That's sort of when you're, you're dipping yep. versus swiping, which we're all going through now. Um, so there's yep. going to be a three to five year process here as all merchants trade out their terminals. So Points is the first fully certified smart terminal that, that also offers EMV and Apple Pay and you know, QR codes and everything else. But the, um, 
the real benefit of Point is they've built an open developer operating system on top of it, um, mm -hmm. and uh, that is allowing developers to write, you know, different loyalty programs or inventory management programs or, you know, talk to the kitchen programs and analytics programs so that for a Tier 3, Tier 4 merchant, like we all have smartphones and can have our different apps and different solutions that work for us, you know, each merchant can figure out, you know, here's the solutions I want to bring to bear and, and bring down to my terminal. Um, so, you know, we invested in Point because, first of all, there was this large market opportunity of the, of the trade-out of terminals occurring. And number two, it, it's a, it's, it's a um, uh, you know, it, it, it's a trend that those terminals are going to become open such that merchants can better run their business. Today, today they're not open. Today, you know, that the merchant is basically running his Visa and MasterCard and Discover cards through these terminals, and they can't run any other part of their business. Mm -hmm. um, so that was our thesis on point, and uh, you know, they can they continue to be the 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 best product out there. And this transition, you know, is is occurring as we all know as we're starting to dip our cards. Mm -hmm. um, Yep, absolutely. Uh, it's an early stage. It's an early stage company, um, so there's some risk involved. But you know, we're quite excited about about its potential. Um, again, working backwards, I think the second one you mentioned was FastPay. So yep, with receivables Fast, financing. Yes, but they so they focused on a specific industry vertical, which is digital media, and they mm -hmm. created a solution that is both transaction services plus receivable financing, although they call it asset-backed lending, which is actually legally different, um, uh, for that um, vertical. And so unlike some of the other alternative lenders out there, they've kind of built a risk engine that's based on information, you know, Google dashboards, et cetera, that lets them know, you know, what ads have been played, what views have been, have been played, so that they can figure out exactly what particular companies and all the ecosystems are going to be owed and are going to be paid. And the Payment schedules in digital media are notoriously long. They're all, you know, 90, 120 days. But you're taking, you know, no risk and kind of lending against that or minimal risk because of the fact, you know, the page view has already been sent. You know, the, the, the uh, lead gen has already been sent. Um, so we liked uh, FastPay um, for two reasons. Number one, you know, they stepped into the alternative lending space but kind of have a, a very strong vertical barrier and have built, built a, you know, a strong vertical focus and allowed them to build a competitive barrier, you know, based on, uh, you know, a different risk engine and based on knowledge in the digital media space and, you know, that others don't have that are more broader based. And then number two, they backed that up with a whole transaction service business. So, you know, not only are they doing asset-backed lending, but they are helping different players in the ecosystem um, you know, aggregate invoices and, and send them out, send payments out. You know, the, the whole payment stream in this ecosystem goes through multiple parties, agencies and, and affiliate marketers and, and you know, placement um, parties. And so, it, you know, they are helping to aggregate and manage those payments and those invoice and the invoicing across that ecosystem as well, which is why we liked it. Um, and then the first one you mentioned, Neha, uh, Digital Currency Group, so we all know mm -hmm. the the possible promise of blockchain, right? And yep. um, and there are many use cases for blockchain, and there are many startups out there 
um, uh, you know, coming up with solutions for particular use cases, and many of them are in the financial services industry. Um, we invested a small amount of money in Digital Currency Group, and the reason we did this is because Digital Currency Group, they do have two operating di divisions, um, but they also hold uh, percentage interests in you know, 50 to 60 blockchain companies. So we made that investment such that we could kind of watch what was going on in all these companies to figure out which of these use cases um, you know, appear to be getting a lot of traction. So we like the blockchain space. No one has any traction yet. Um, uh, <laughs> and so uh, we don't, you know, it's too risky for us to make an investment indirectly. So this, is, this was a, a nice way and we, uh, for us to be very involved in the industry and to pay attention to you know, which ones are starting to gain traction. Got it. And you know, speaking of that traction, um, brought more broadly beyond blockchain as well, we're definitely seeing a rise in partnerships between ba banks and uh, fintech startups. So do you think that that will ultimately translate to exit opportunities? And what are the sort of different opportunities that, that you're thinking about and pros and cons in your mind as an investor? Sure. Um, yes, banks are much more interested in startups, and many of them, and many uh, processors, and you know, Visa, Mastercard, etc., you know, have all started investment arms or started you know labs, innovation arms. Um, and I think what is different in their thinking now is that they've kind of understood that to get the latest technology. And a good example of this is our uh, portfolio company Feedzai, yeah, which was an early stage company when we invested, and they have you know, companies such as First Data and Cap One as clients. And uh, large companies like that wouldn't be picking a vendor that it was that small, you know, a decade ago. But what I think these large companies are now understanding in the banks and all the incumbents is that to get the latest technology, they've actually kind of got to go outside, um, you know, their core legacy platforms and find mm -hmm. you know, new solutions, find solutions that are the most sophisticated modern you know, technology. So they're only you know, two to five years old. Um, uh, and to, you know, to enable, to better their customer experience, better the management of the operating um, efficiencies, et cetera. So you would, we would imagine that there are strategic exits you know, to um, uh, strategics in each vertical, whether it's insurance companies, whether it's payment processors, whether it's banks, or whether it's to parties that are providing services to to those ecosystems, um, there you know there there's Guidewire that cover that you know has software as a solutions for um, the insurance industry. There are lots of players that have solutions for the banking industry, for instance. Um, so you would so the sales either directly to one of the players because they want your, your technology and they don't want anybody else to have it, or else the sale to a provider of solutions to that particular vertical uh, could be highly likely. Mm -hmm. uh, so actually, transitioning to a little bit of a different topic, um, you know, you're a well-known woman in a leadership role in a fund that invests in fintech. But when you look around at your peers at, at other at other funds, you see a world dominated by men. In fact, also at fintech startups themselves. So this gap is is even larger, is you know, large in broader tech and even larger in fintech. Uh, we'd love to hear your thoughts on sort of why why that is. Um, well, I guess I really don't know. <laughs> it's a tough question. I, I would, yeah, no, I think you know, and I think it's going to come over time. I think if you kind of divide the investor world up, you'll find a large percentage of investors had operating experience, such as I did. 
so that they come mm-hmm. to whether they're healthcare investors or whether they're fintech investors, you know, they come to investing after having spent, you know, a decade or 15 years in operating roles in these industries so they know the world and then can, um, you know, are well positioned to figure out, you know, potential opportunities and growth strategies. Um, and so I think I think you just kind of have a little bit of a lag because as you have women and other minorities kind of uh, start moving up the ranks in operating roles, then you will have them be uh, become investors post their careers from an operating perspective. Um, I, I don't think there's any reason, you know, more specific than that, um, you know, that that I can think of. And I think we're starting to see more. Yeah. So, you know, as part of that, as a as a woman in a leadership role, uh, as part of Oak, is there anything that Oak is trying to do to change that or more broadly that, you know, we as a fintech community can do uh, both sort of day to day as well as long term and institutionally? Um, you know, uh, I think you- I think what we do, which I think most investors do, is we always bet on you know that the, the best person in the best role with the best opportunity. And so mm-hmm. I think we're always going to make the decision based on um, you know again with no deference to whether they're male, female, or another minority. I think you're always going to uh, uh, you know pick what's the best opportunity out there. You know, yes. Um, uh, if you have equal opportunities, you could say, um, you know, pick a female over, uh, you know, a female-backed fund over, female-backed startup over another. But that's that's rarely the case. I mean, what you're looking for is the best opportunity, and you're not going to make a decision, you know, based on something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, you know, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. We so appreciate it, and it's been fantastic to pick your brain on such a wide array of topics. Absolutely. No, thank you, Nan, and a pleasure, and look forward to talking again. Absolutely.